Okay. Hello, hello. Hi, welcome back to Bang Bang Cults. Uh, happy Father's Day week. Week, yes. So, yeah. we think. Yeah. <laughs> yes, because we are doing a very special Father's Day tribute, I guess. Yeah, tribute. tribute. We're going to so. be covering um, fathers that are cult leaders. Father ran cults. Yeah. Fatherly figures. Fatherly figures. Fathers gone bad. Fa- yeah. Instead of Catholics gone bad, we're going fathers gone bad. Yeah. Yeah. And not in the good daddy kind of way. Yeah. Not like oh, the wild. Yeah. Pervy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> All right. <laughs> anyway. And. <laughs> All right. Let's start with flipping. Do you want to be. Oh, wait. Yeah. I guess I'll be heads. You want to be heads? Okay. Uh, oh. Where'd it go? It's tails. <laughs> Again? Again? <laughs> I love that it was like you, like every time, and now it's me. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I guess I'll have to start flipping next time. Yeah. We'll let you flip. Okay. All right. I'm going to get comfy. Get on comfy. Get up in that chair. So what you going to tell me about today? I'm going to tell you about Melvin James Lyman. Okay. Yeah. Melvin James. Or Mel. I'll probably call him Mel throughout this. So Mel was born in on March 24th, 1938 in Eureka, California. His mother was a waitress and his father was a sailor. Wait, what year? I totally spaced out. 38. 38. So okay. taking it back. time ago. Okay. Back. Way back in Eureka. And when he turned 17, he decided to take his sister with him and they moved to San Diego where he met his first wife, Sophia Lucera, or Lucera. Hmm. You all know how I am with names. Take it or leave it. And a few years later, he was arrested for possession of marijuana. And the family decided to move to Oregon. Okay. Because it was too much for him in San Diego. And during this time, he traveled America, and he learned how to play the harmonica and the banjo. That would happen. I mean, what year is it now? He's held. Yeah, uh, so it's like thirty-eight plus twenty, so fifty-eight. Fifty-eight. Yeah, in the playing 50, like, the banjo, like late fifties, playing the banjo. Yeah, like the folklore music or the folk- folky, it's folky, folky. Yeah, like my All mom right. will play her music, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> folk-like. So he's learned how to play that harmonica and the banjo. And through some collaborations, he made friends with Brother Percy Randolph and Obri Ramsey. Those are some folksy names. Those too. are some folks, folksy, folksy names. And in 1962, Mel decided to move Sophia and their three children to North Carolina. It's just getting folksier by the day. Mm-hmm. Just spreading that family and moving on out. <laughs> <laughs> And while living on the East Coast, he made some interesting friends, such as artists, filmmakers, musicians, and writers. The most famous of them was Jonas Mikas, which led the studio led led to the studios of Bruce Connor and Andy Warhol. Oh, I only knew one of those names. But you knew one. I did. Yeah. <laughs> so he was hanging out with Andy Warhol, and by Bruce actually taught him how to. The art of filmmaking and okay. mel actually created some of his own his own films hmm. so he's just getting very okay. artistic and in 1963 mel met judy silver a college student who lived in boston and of course he instantly fell in love and left his family for her of course so bye bye wife and three kids he left them in north carolina and he moved to boston as you do. Yeah. When your wife has three children and then... I mean, he was hanging out with Andy Warhol, so we know You start making movies. Yeah. You just... Don't, you're not hanging out with the right crowd. And he was with Andy Warhol. We all know Andy Warhol is kind of crazy. Yeah. All right. And, of course, he kept smoking weed because it's the 60s. And it got him in trouble again. And he was arrested for the second time. And he was forced to choose between jail or a job which i kind of <laughs> love i love that it's just like uh, we should bring that back jail or a job yeah like you can work and so 
he decided to play in a band. He took a job in a, a band, uh, playing the banjo. That was one of the options. That was his option. I expected like street cleaner, right? Or like, like payback to society. Yeah. Nope. He got to keep doing what he wanted to do and travel. So basically wasn't punished at all. No, not at all. No. So he's like, I'm going to keep on smoking. As long as you have a job. Yeah. Fine. Have a job. So And then you can smoke all the weed you want. And he gets to travel because he's in a band that's traveling to do shows. So he literally, I mean, if that that's was. That's some great punishment. Let's bring it back. And I'm going to start like, yeah, smoking like everywhere. Like, yeah. <laughs> in front of schools. Like, hey, kids. <laughs> I want to get a job. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That was real. (laughs) Okay. So where are we? So we started playing the banjo in the harmonica for a jug band is what it was called. So folksy. So folksy. And he, they travel a lot to festivals, gained quite the nickname, the grand old man of the blues. Ooh. He was a big, big time. I just picture him having a very long gray beard. I don't think he really has, like, very much hair on him, but you do picture it. Like, yeah. you picture, like, someone cool. Someone, I don't know, someone Funky, you want to, like, yeah. like a bear almost. Like, big, <laughs> I don't know, an outdoorsy man, maybe? I don't know. I fi- I did not picture that at all. I pictured, like, a gray beard like skinny guy with like a banjo mm, i know what you're thinking of yeah i could see that too yeah long hair yeah just like jamming out like i just rose tinted rose tinted like super like stoned up there i think i'm describing my uncle oh well <laughs> he was sense. a hippie so he was did he play the banjo i don't think so all right maybe the harmonica maybe maybe <laughs> hidden talents <laughs> He was actually most notably remembered for playing a 20-minute improvisation of the hymn Rock of Ages, and he did this at the Newport Folk Festival to a large crowd of people who had just watched Bob Dylan. So they're, like, coming out after watching Bob Dylan, just like, yeah, and he's just playing for 20 minutes. That's okay, Pink Floyd. Okay, right? (laughs) On his harmonica. Wanna be Pink Floyd. (laughs) 20 minutes. And during this time that he was playing, he actually became acquainted with Timothy Leary's group, the International Foundation for Internal Freedom, which is basically a very large name for an LSD group. Oh, Internal Freedom. Internal Freedom. So I think it was just like a group of people that were like, let's put a name on it and we'll just do a lot of drugs. Yeah. Because if we put a name on it, they can't mess with us or something. Right. I mean, we're their internal freedom. Internal freedom. Everyone had to name their groups back then. Right. And it was, I like it because it's if, if. International Foundation for Internal Freedom. If, if. If, if. If, if. And they're all doing LSD, so if. Yeah. (laughs) And against Judy's wish, or I mean against Mel's wishes, Judy decided to take LSD herself. And she literally lost her mind. And she left college and returned to her parents' house in Kansas. And according to an anonymous source, he says, Judy got all fucked up. This is his second old lady. I mean, like, she got really twisted. I don't know if it was the acid or the scene or whatever, but she split. She went back to Kansas. She was totally out of the picture by the summer of 1963. Judy is probably the most important thing in Mel's life. He worshipped Judy. Really loved her. Then she split, you know. She couldn't help it. She was totally freaked out. They took her away. This is why I've never done acid. Right? Because I my brain would break. Just, she split, you know? She like, split. She, she just, yeah. She just couldn't handle it. She just couldn't handle it. But you can totally picture him talking <laughs> like this. Yeah. That's what's great about it. I had to read that. I love it. <laughs> Poor her, though. I know. And then she's just gone. Now she's gone. She's Written like Written out of history. Now she's divorced. An 18-year-old divorced after. Wait, were they married? They got married. It was oh, a sec- I forgot about that. Yeah. I mean, I knew they were together, but... Yeah, they, they got a little married. I might not have said it, but yes, they were married. A little married. <laughs> a little bit. Just a little <laughs> married, and then did a little acid, and then got a little a, divorced. A little bit not that married. Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Got it straight. 
So after Judy left, a community was naturally formed around Lyman, and he began to realize he was destined for a role as a spiritual leader. Ooh, LSD obviously helped. Of course. In 1966, Lyman founded the Lyman family, real original. It was also known as the Fort Hill community. It started off with just a few houses in the Fort Hill section of Roxbury, which is a poor neighborhood of Boston. To And to the outside world, it just looked like a big hippie commune that was just playing music and just hanging out. And it quickly grew more artistic members. Obviously, he's a folk folklore artist, friends with Andy Warhol. And a young couple joined, Mark Frechette and Daria Halperin. They were in the movie Zabriskie Point. No idea. 1970s. Don't know. Uh, Michael Kindman, who was the founder of the East Lansing underground newspaper, The Paper. Original. Real original. The Paper. And he actually later wrote a book called My Odyssey Through the Underground Press. So that's what his book's name. Yes. But his paper's named The Paper. The Paper. All right. I if see I'm gonna you. do a book, I'm gonna make it real original. But the paper's just gotta be the paper. Could just be the book. The book. The book on the paper. We should write a book and just call it the book. Oh, I ho- probably already exists. Probably. The book. The book. Yeah. There we go. The book. And we'll the write p- the book on the, the book. Pa- the book on the paper. <laughs> 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 a- another member was journalist and poet Paul Williams who was the founder of the Crawdaddy Rock magazine. Oh, okay. And also the author of Das Honor Energy. And he spent a few months on Fort Hill. He actually escaped undercover in the darkness when he wasn't was told he wasn't allowed to leave, which kind of gives precedent for what this group turns into. Yeah. So although Lyman and the family shared some attributes with the hippies, such as LSD and hanging out, They were actually anti-hippie. Female members were told to dress and behave conservatively, and members wore their hair relatively short for the era. And according to both Felton and Kindman, past writers from the group, Lyman actually discouraged sexual activity and at least once ordered a pregnant member to get an abortion. Wow. But you would think, because I'm sure hippies were were pro-abortion. Right. But it's interesting, like, during this time, he's anti-hippie, but also... Pro-abortion. Pro-abortion. It's a very weird... Because, I guess, because she had sex and they couldn't have a sign of that in their... Right. Commune, I'm guessing. But maybe he didn't want, like, the hippie outlook of it, so he just was to the outside members that are outside community. Yeah, they couldn't have a love child. Right. No love children for you guys. Yep, no love children, so you got to get abortions. I don't think birth control is around quite yet, or that's when it was, like, probably really bad. Yeah, I don't think it was very good. I think they were using, like, sponges and or whatever. Yeah. Was the era where they were using the like, sponge? Mm-hmm, I think so. And, like, I don't think they'd done the pills yet, so. Or diaphragms, was that? Were diaphragms around yet? I don't know. I feel like we need to do a history, a on, history on female <laughs> birth control. Yes. Okay, next time. (laughs) Uh, Couples were actually discouraged from spending private time together, and women were expected to be obedient and serve in domestic capacities only, while men were expected to dominate and control them. Members turned over whatever money they had to the family funds, and the funds were used to purchase houses in the Fort Hill area for the members to live in, for them to buy construction tools and vehicles, Along with sound and video recording equipment for Lyman. Of course. Of course. So basically, they're just like building a big studio for Lyman. And, you know, houses. And and houses, yes. They gotta have somewhere to live. They do. So it was like group project. But at least like you're part of it and you get a home. Yeah, I guess they were making a community. A, a commune. Com- a commune community. <laughs> the co- community's uh, primary activity was construction and remodeling. With the foremost goal was to provide a supportive environment for Lyman to do his creative work. Of course. Of course. Because he's got to play that banjo and that harmonica. Mm-hmm. He's got to 
top that 20 minute banjo <laughs> with Bob Dylan. And according to both Felton and Kindman, a macho bullying ethic prevailed and often guns were used. Oh, so that's so anti hippie. So anti hippie. No love here. And Lyman actually seemed to believe that no one could actually be creative unless they were real or awake. And this was defined in practice as experiencing intense pain or anger. All right. So you're not going to be creative unless you're very angry or like in pain. I mean, I think a lot of artists would agree. It's I mean, true. I, I mean, mean, a lot of depressed artists out true. there. It's Some of the best stuff has come from like breakups. Yeah. Yeah. Bad things. So it makes sense. But not recommended to torture people for art. Not recommended. Don't don't be mill. Don't don't <laughs> don't do that. Uh so people were subjected to rigid discipline and highly structured lives. And by the spring of nineteen sixty seven, the Fort Hill community had become an established presence in Boston and they decided to write their own underground newspaper called the Avatar. Ooh, I kind of like it. Yeah, I mean, Avatar. Yeah. Why is, I wonder why they called it that though. I, I don't Just know. Just a cool word. Maybe maybe like the Avatar is like an alien or something. I don't uh, who knows. I don't know. But it's better than the paper. Yes. They had to be more original. It the, was al- the paper was already taken. The paper was already taken. They're like the paper too. <laughs> Two point. The Avatar contained local news, political and cultural essays, commentary, and more par- personal contributions. Writing and photography from various members of the Fort Hill community were included. Throughout the first year of its existence, it created what became a national audience, and many more people visited Fort Hill some eventually staying and becoming part of the community. And rather than being gentle and like the normal underground hippie publications of the time, Lyman's writing was much more intense. In one such article, he wrote, I'm going to reduce everything that stands to rubble, then I'm going to burn the rubble, then I'm going to scatter the ashes, and then maybe someone will be able to see something as it really is. Watch out. What? So very not hippie. No. Aggressive. He's a little aggro. So aggressive. But he's feeling. He does have feelings. He has feelings. He must be very artistic. Very artistic. He's Mm -hmm. got to, and then probably takes that anger out on that banjo. Yep. I feel like you'd break the banjo. Banjo. I wonder if he had like the (laughs) the combo too, like the harmonica, like on the thing. Oh, I hope so. I see that happening. In 1968, the final issue of the Avatar was released, and then they started their own magazine called the American Avatar. All right. Was the other one not American? I I guess they just were like, America? America. America. And of course, Lyman wrote for this one as well. And people have said that his writings could be poetic, philosophical, humorous, and confrontational. So just a wide variety of writings that you might read. Oh, I guess depending on his mood and yeah, his feelings. His feelings and if he was awake or asleep. <laughs> he must be awake to feel. Lyman, of course, as our many cult leaders happen to like to do, he cl- claimed to be the living embodiment of truth, the greatest man in the world, Jesus Christ, and an alien entity sent to earth in human form by extraterrestrials okay lsd will do that to you okay then it it will happen and so he actually was put on the dick cabot show in 1970 and mark frechette who's part of the group said it's a community but the purpose of the community is not communal living the community is for one purpose and that's to serve mel lyman who is the leader and the founder of that community. And in 1971, Rolling Stone magazine actually did a very extensive expose on the family. And in one of the reports, or someone said that they described Mel as an authoritarian and dysfunctional. And 
they included an elite karma squad of oh. ultra loyalists, loyalists, loyal, loyal, loyalists, <laughs> loyal. I don't okay to enforce Lyman's discipline, including isolation rooms for disobedient family members. Of course, always got to have an isolation room. Isolation room for the win. I'm sure they were probably on drugs too, and like forced oh, yeah. to see things. Ugh, forced to be in a room on alone on drugs. It's terrible. I can't even think about. Of course, family members disputed these reports, but ex-members corroborated much of them, especially Michael Kindman, our favorite, the book, or the... <laughs> the paper. The paper, who wrote the book on it. And another member said, the only difference between us and the Manson family is we don't go around preaching peace and love, and we haven't killed anyone yet. I mean, those are some pretty big differences. A little bit. But I mean, peace and love, but there's no and there's no death. At least they were honest, I guess. But because the Manson family was out during this time, yeah, like this was that time. I guess people were comparing Mel to the Mansons, so they were trying to trying to make comparisons, but they weren't. They were they they were a little different. They were just a little different. I could, you can't even say they were like lovers because they're not anti hippie. Yeah. They're opposites. They're just in the middle. Yeah. Because they're not... I don't... In 1973, members of the family, including Frechette, staged a bank robbery for funsies. And one of the family members was killed. And Frechette was sentenced to prison and died in a weightlifting accident in prison. Okay. I guess he lifted more than he could and the bar fell on him. Or... Or Wink, wink. <laughs> we all know what really happened. Yeah. Maybe. The bar fell on him. The bar Gross. fell. Yeah. We'll go with that. Exactly. A little skull crusher. <laughs> Another description of the life in the Ly- Lyman family comes from actress and screenwriter Genevieve Turner, who spent her first 11 years in the family. And she actually just published an article in The New Yorker probably a month or so ago, or when this was airing, or like yeah. a month or so ago, is actually really good, and I recommend reading it. According to Turner, by 1968, there were 100 adults and 60 children in the family, all living under the reign of Lyman. She said that he was very charismatic and a complicated leader, and they were taught that world people, or all those outside of the family, were soulless. And we had to have as little contact with them as possible, or else souls may be sucked away. Oh. So, they stayed inside a lot. I guess so. Doctors were only called called in emergencies. It's like my Boston accent wants to come out. <laughs> my family's from back east, but I just want to have an you accent. You just want to. Just want to be from Boston. <laughs> Doctors were only called in emergencies, like losing a finger or being scalded by water. And the family had compounds. And they lose a lot of fingers and scald themselves with a lot of water. Well, I <laughs> guess that's very specific. Very example. specific. <laughs> because I guess the kids would have to chop wood. Oh. And it was the kids. So that makes sense that they probably lost a few fingers. And, and I think that they, when they were collecting berries and stuff, they would have to wash the berries. So they scalded themselves a lot. Okay. I guess. So just like free children running all over the place. They're kind of hot messes. I guess. Weird. Let's see. So it looks like the family now has compounds in Kansas, Los Angeles, San Francisco, New York, Boston, and Martha's Vineyard. And each of them would have houses for the adults and just one large one for the children. And they were transported by buses to different communes. And their families were separated, so... For Turner, her mom was in Boston, but she was, again, Boston. <laughs> her mother was in Boston, and she was in the Kansas one, so they were just kept separate. Okay. And then I also, Turner's mom had another child who was brought to one of the other ones. So they uh-huh. just, like, they would have children, and then they would be brought to other places. Okay. Yeah, to keep them separate. Keep them the separate. Thing about cults, they don't want you to be with your family. Yeah keep you away from thinking about things of course children are homeschooled 
and Turner describes punishment for the children as severe, including being locked in a closet for a whole day, being deprived of food, or being beaten while everyone else was brought out to watch, or being the object of shunning when no one was allowed to look at you or talk to you for days. Just so sad. I would yeah, I couldn't do the shunning thing. I couldn't. Or not have anyone speak to me. I yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, they just don't make eye contact. Like, you're still in the same area as them. They just don't talk to you or make eye contact with you. No. And I love people and I'm very loud. I feel like people would be like, ugh. Although some days I think I'd be like, fuck yeah. Yeah. No one's leaving me alone. Can you just go nap the whole day? Right? Nap day. Nap day. Nap day. <laughs> I don't think so. Probably not. She even said, I was once punished for looking at someone with that Scorpio soul in your eyes. Fucking Scorpios. Scorpio soul. <laughs> Just don't even look at me like that. <laughs> How do you look at someone like a Scorpio? <laughs> like lay down and put your legs behind you and look at them. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. And around the age of 13 and 14, girls were chosen by one of the adult men to be married, though there was no ceremony or anything official. They were just married. And Turner watched a girl cry at the prospect of her marriage to Mel and said that she didn't want to have sex with Lyman, but knew that soon she would have to. Even though they didn't want people to have sex. Yeah, it's kind of... But I guess if you're married... If you're married, it's okay. So that's why he wanted to marry off all the child girls. I feel like they probably had, like, an adult meeting, and, they, and people were like, we want to have sex. And he's like, okay, you just have to be married. Quote, unquote. Quote, unquote. Yeah. Then it made sense. And the family also believed that the world was set to end on January 5th, 1974. And on that date, Mel, time, Mel Lyman told us we'd be taken away to Venus. And as the day approached, we children were told to put out our favorite clothes and pick one toy to bring on the journey we sat in the living room all night listening for the hum of the ufos why are there why is it always aliens always an alien always the end of the world always has aliens it's never like an asteroid or the dinosaurs (laughs) coming back or like any movie godzilla the aliens are always coming for you it's not like nope i mean i guess what else would they use like, if you were going to make up an end-of-the-world scenario where you were going to be saved and not utilize aliens... Puppies. Yes, puppies are going to float you up to the sky. Yes. Because they'll blow, like, bubbles. Like, bubblegum bubbles. Bubblegum bubbles. <laughs> Take you away. I love this idea. I guess aliens are the most logical, but also... The most logical. Exactly. That's the most logical. <laughs> well, shocker. They didn't come, and they were told our souls weren't ready, which ruined things for Mel, whose soul was exactly where it needed to be. Of course it was. Mel is perfect. Obviously, super hot with that banjo and harmonica. He, he took out that anger, and he stayed awake. Soul was so re- awake. So, he was, a, a, what was it? Woke? He was woke. Is that what the cool kids say? No. I think so. Ugh. At the age of 11, Turner was actually kicked out of the commune because her mother ran away. And she was put on a plane where she picked up her four-year-old sister from the other commune. And they were brought to their grandmother's house where their mother was waiting for them. And Turner explains what it was like to go back to school because she's been homeschooled this whole time. Yeah. And... They asked, obviously, where do you have your school records? And the mother said that the school was burned down. (laughs) And then they were talking about a hamster, and that was a very weird thing for her. Again, I highly recommend this article. It's very interesting. It's very fascinating. And when she became an adult, she was actually invited back to return, and she spent several days there. And she she relates saying she felt a surge of love and belonging before being alienated by the traditional gender roles, obviously. Men asking for her to get them all the things and doing the dishes and yada, yada, yada. And as she grew and... So did they not have traditional gender roles within the commune? They they did. Women served and men were like... Yeah. The manly, like doing the construction and 
Oh, yeah. 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 Mm. So it's very traditional in that sense. Okay. Anti-hippie. Yeah. In the mid-1980s, members of the Fort Hill community announced that Lyman had died in 78. So he died two years prior. However, they never presented a death certificate, provided any details of what happened to him or where his remains were. And they just said that he purposely overdosed on drugs because from a long-time illness. He d- okay, so he just died. He he and done he get dead. But there was no proof for and well, two years later. Or he was so perfect that the aliens came for just him. And Maybe took him to Venus. And there he was. Yeah. And it's just his He's body just there. Frozen in space. Yeah. Waiting for us. Exactly. To He's be waiting. as perfect as he is. So we'll get on that harmonica and the banjo and we'll keep on going. Maybe we'll get there. <laughs> And after Lyman died, the family evolved to a smaller, more conventional extended family, and they actually continued with their construction, and they founded the Fort Hill Construction Company. Okay. So if you're in Boston, two to reach out to. The Fort Hill Construction Company. Fort Hill Construction Company. They, yep. Are they still culty? I'm sure they still, like, are practicing just under the, in the DL. All right. And that, my friends, is Mel Lyman. All right, Mel Lyman. Rip. Bye. Hanging out with some aliens. Okay. I'm about to mispronounce some things. (sighs) It's going to be a wild ride. Yes. All right, so we're going to talk about Workers' Institute of Marxism, Leninism, Mao Zedong thought and Aravindan Balakrishnan. It's quite the name. Yeah. Not just the religion. (laughs) Couldn't just be the family like everything else. So Fort Hill. Yeah. So Aravindan was known to his followers as comrade bala so i'm gonna call him bala because so i can't pronounce his name i tried um so bala was born in kerala india and when he was 10 he moved to singapore because his dad was a soldier he went to college at the university of singapore and he emigrated to the uk in 1963 in, on a British Council scholarship to study at the London School of Economics, although he believed the UK was a fascist state because of its treatment of the people of Singapore during the Malay- Malayan Emergency. In 1971, Bala married his wife, Chandra. In the following years, he would build a following through lectures, sit-ins, and protests. You know, because he was very anti-fascist. Fascist? Fascist. Was he doing this in... This was in um, London. In London. Okay. Yeah. So, in 1974, Bala had gotten a small following, and he was a part of the Communist Party of England, um, Marxist-Leninist. And... In 1974, they were kicked out of that party due to pursuance of conspiratorial and splitist activities spreading social fascist slanders against the party and the proletarian movement. So they were too crazy for the crazy. Yeah. And attempting to put themselves above the discipline of the party. Okay. Yeah. So bye. Bye. Um, after being kicked out, he formed Workers' Institute of Marxism-Leninism Mao Zedong Thought. Um, the Workers' Institute published the South London Workers' Bulletin from their squat in South London. They were aiming to build what's called a red base in Brixton and encourage the Chinese People's Liberation Army to liberate the area. 
1976, there were 13 members housed in the center commune and other members living nearby in co-housing. Members were, of course, expected to give a share of their earnings to the group and were only allowed to go out in pairs because, according to Bala, the area they lived in was prone to violence. Gotcha. Got a buddy system. Yeah. 1977 was a pretty big year for them. The Times in April 1977 reported some of the group's material as an amusing aside, giving them broader attention. And the group claimed affiliation with the Communist Party of China. A document issued in 1977 by Bala argued that the British population was moving in a revolutionary direction and that the opening of the group's headquarters, quote, has taken the British fascist state by storm, unquote. Bala thought the Chinese People's Liberation Army would launch a revolutionary invasion of Britain by 1980. And in 1977, his Singaporean citizenship was revoked due to his leadership of the group. Ministry of Home Affairs accused him of engaging in activities which are prejudicial to the security of Singapore and denounced him as a radical closely associated with Euro-communists. The authorities claim that Bala, along with some other former Singaporean students he met in London, or plotting to overthrow Singapore's leader, Lee Kuan Yew. So he was disowned by England's communists and Singapore. Just making enemies left and right. Yeah. He was too communist for England and too English communist for Singapore. What's he going to do next, right? <laughs> right? Oh, boy. So over the years, I guess the police kept an eye out on their headquarters, and it was raided under suspicion of drugs in 1978. Except there weren't any drugs. They didn't do drugs. Uh, but at least nine were arrested for assaulting police officers, including Bala. And after the raid, the center was closed. At the trial, those charged refused to accept the authority of the court, and they were briefly sent to jail. Briefly? Briefly. Okay. So once Bala was released from jail, he decided it was best to take the movement underground. In 1980, the group consisted of only Bala and seven female followers. Oh, okay. Yeah, of course. That's one way to take, make it happen. <laughs> like, yeah, follow me, guys. Women. <laughs> underground, too. At this time, uh, the control Bala had over his followers intensified, and the commune was more like a prison to its members. The remaining members were told to end all contact with others and maintain a high level of secrecy. Family members were to be branded fascist agents and ostracized. In order to stay under the radar, they moved several times, and Bala convinced his followers he controlled everything, even the sun. He could overthrow governments and make people live or die. He convinced the women that if they left the house without, without his permission, lightning would strike them. Quite the power he has there. Yeah. Bala even, invent, even invented a dangerous, mystical, godlike, imaginary being that monitored all thought and, con and could control minds. Its name was Jackie, which is an acronym for Jehovah, Allah, Christ, Krishna, and Immortal Iswaran. So just a combo of everything. Yeah, just a, a little just a potion like, of a conglomerate of gods. All right, <laughs> and it was invisible. Okay. Yeah, of course. Uh, in 1979, Bala would start sexually abusing the women and would physically beat them and make others watch. One report states, though, that his wife was not sexually assaulted. So. Okay. One report. Yeah. Bala forced the women to swallow what he considered the elixir of life. Ah, yes. I mean, every, you, you guys know what that is, right? I don't have to say it. Yeah. Okay. Use your imagination, if not. <laughs> um, he also claimed the women he sexually abused had been trying to seduce him out of jealousy. Oh, of course. Typical man response. Typical. 
I mean, he does think that he has the elixir of life. That's true. I mean, I guess I it feel like kind every- of is technically. It, I guess so. It's your, it is your manhood. So, and it does create living life. beings. That's true. I guess. All right. He's not completely wrong. He's just gross. It's like 50 50. <laughs> so, one of the women, Cyan Davies, became pregnant. But Bala told her and the other women that she was swollen with gas. Mm, nice. Yeah. In 1983, uh, Katie Morgan Davies was born. Uh, at birth, though, her name was Prem Malpinduzi, which means love revolution. Okay. Uh, she didn't change her name until later. Katie was raised as a human experiment called Project Perm, and her destiny was to help Bala rule the world. Oh, I feel bad for her. Yeah. In 1996, Katie watched her mom, Cyan, being beaten by Bala while gagged and being held down by other cult members. The next day, the next day, Cyan died after falling from a window. Katie believed she was attempting to escape. Cyan, however, was one of Bala's most devoted followers and, according to Katie, was the cruelest one. She was a little relieved when Cyan was gone. Really? That's got to be tough. Yeah. Well, she didn't actually know that Cyan and Bala were her dad, were her parents. Oh. Yeah, she didn't know. That's in here somewhere, in my notes somewhere. Uh, gotcha. <laughs> so she just got it. Okay. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, that must be crazy. You're just like, I was born. Yeah, she was just born out of nothing and then raised by the group. I guess. Um. Katie had been brainwashed and believed her own behavior was to blame for disasters like earthquakes, even the Space Shuttle Challenger explosion of 1986. She was taught that outsiders were all fascists that would do her harm, and that was why she needed to stay in the house. She was taught to read and write and was forced to keep a diary of her life, describing every detail. Forced to? Yeah, forced. She had to everything. I have a couple of quotes in here from it. Like, everything she ate, going to the bathroom, every beating, everything. Was he, like, over, like, watching, like, that's not what your poop looked like today. (laughs) I don't know. That's not right. (laughs) Probably. You had six beans, not four. (laughs) That's why you're full of gas. Probably. Probably. Um, So, on, I do have, so on October 1990, she wrote... Comrade Bala disciplined Comrade Prem for talking in bed. Learn to listen to comrades when they are giving Comrade Bala's guidelines. So she got lessons out of it? Yeah. Uh, she would stand by the window. That's what she would spend her days doing, hoping that someone would notice if she ever disappeared. Sad. Yeah. I just want to hold this little baby girl. Uh, In an interview, she said there was a garden, but I was never allowed to go out on my own. And I was told never to make contact, never even to look at other people through the window. They were all fascist agents and they were going to do harm to me. I don't know anything else. And everyone else in the house in the house said the same. And in a diary entry from 2008, she wrote, my father is so intransigent, intransigent. He just tightens the belt more and more. It is downright intolerable now. I wish that things could change for the better or, or that I could die. Sad. So that's sad. what she's like writing this. I'm surprised he didn't see some of these things. Yeah, I don't. Maybe as she got older, he didn't read her diary. Maybe. Who knows? Uh, Katie said during the last five years, she was literally held prisoner with all the windows and doors locked because she had a friendship with a neighbor. So, as I said before, Katie wasn't told who her parents were, even though she lived with them and she was raised by the commune and Bala, this was because Bala believed that children should be raised by the collective and discouraged emotional bonds. 
Bala was the only one allowed to cuddle Katie. If any of the women attempted to, they would be lesbians. Ah, gotcha. Mm -hmm. So Katie's upbringing lacked affection and human contact. She was abused and degraded. So she would try to use food to coax rats to come up from under the floorboards. Be her friend. To be her friend. And she made friends with inanimate objects. She would say things, or she would, like, kiss the tap and tell it you're on my side. Or hug the toilet when the flush worked. (laughs) I know. Stop it. This poor little girl. But the sad thing is that this whole time, like, this isn't even happening just when she's a little girl. It's like like she's an adult now. Yeah. At a certain point, she's an adult. And she's still, like doesn't have anyone outside of this house of the toilet yeah uh katie says her early memories are of violence of being beaten beaten and seeing other people in the house being physically abused as well as cursed and that there was a lot of shouting the members were forced to stand for hours on end listening to his lectures if they nodded off they were slapped awake And obviously not thinking anything of it, Bala allowed the women to read. Katie learned right and wrong from books like Harry Potter. Ah, yes. Which, I mean, if you're trying to restrict, like, they had a restricted television where they could only watch certain things. But you're going to let her read? All these, like, stories of being free and doing things. Yeah. Unlike Harry Potter when he's stuck in a, a cubby under the stairs. Exactly. Let her realize that there's a world out there beyond, or let her dream about a world out there beyond. But then also, she probably doesn't know what reality is, so she might think that, like, there actually is wizards and stuff out there. Oh, maybe. Hmm. Interesting. That's kind of, that makes it kind of a fun life. Like, ooh. Yeah, that would be, but also not. I know. (laughs) Trying to look at, make it hopeful. (laughs) The bright side. So Katie tried to escape in 2005 when she was 22. She saw the back door open and made a run for it. And someone passing by sent her to the local police station. But the officers convinced her to call Bala and go home. Why? Right? Like, she probably couldn't explain what was wrong. Right. And so they didn't take her seriously. They're probably like, she, this crazy lady, just go home. Yeah. <sighs> In 2013, though, the women planned an escape. Yeah, women power. Right? So the women memorized parts of a helpline number for a human trafficking organization that they had seen on their super, like, controlled TV. Mm. Um, And they somehow bought and smuggled in a phone. All right. Right? And one day when Bala and his wife were out, they called the number. And the Human Trafficking Prevention Organization, with the help of the police, helped the woman escape one day when Bala wasn't there. Uh, Katie says it was worth the risk. She was at the point where she didn't care anymore because she was dying. She had lost so much weight and she was just miserable. And even if it went wrong, she she wasn't going to put up with it anymore. She would rather die than live like an animal is what she said. When Katie escaped at the age of 30, she had the social skills of a six-year-old. She had never been to school or the doctor and couldn't even cross the road or use basic appliances. Oh, and she's, are they in London, right? So yeah. I'm sure. Like, she couldn't use public transportation. She couldn't do anything. I mean, I have times when, like, I don't leave the house for a day and I go outside and I see a person. I can't imagine never leaving the house and being in a big city. Yeah, having no idea what to do. And a double-decker bus coming for you. (laughs) Oh, God. It's terrible. Uh, Following her escape, she had DNA testing done, confirming that Cyan and Bala were her parents. And Bala's trial started in November 2015. During his trial, he acted as the only defense witness and told jurors that a challenge to his leadership resulted in the 1986 space shuttle challenge disaster and that Jackie was responsible for the death of a Malaysian prime minister and the election of Jeremy Corbyn as leader of the Labor Party. Ah, yes. Yeah. 
In December 2015, Bala was convicted of false imprisonment, child cruelty, four counts of rape, six counts of indecent assault, and two counts of assault, and was sentenced to 23 years. All right. I guess now he gets to feel what it's like to To be be in prison. In prison. And be raped, most likely. Most likely. Bala's wife was also arrested, but was released due to insufficient evidence. Robert Griffiths, the general secretary of the Communist Party of Britain, said of the group in November 2013, if if one were to be brutally honest, they were more of a psychiatric interest than political interest. They had nothing to do with the mainstream left wing and communist politics of the day. Eek. Harsh. Yeah. Today, Katie forgives her father. Stating that if she carries on being angry, she's allowing him to steal the rest of her life. Good for her. Yeah. Katie changed her name to Katie after being inspired by the Katy Perry song, Roar. Because it's about a woman finding her voice. Oh, I kind of love that. Right? That's great. Uh, she adopted the maiden names of her mother and her grandmother. Aww. So her name is Katie Morgan Davies. Right? Yeah. Um, she is living out her life in Leeds and is studying English and math in college. She went to college. Wow. Yeah, she's in college now, I believe. Good for her. Or was whenever it was posted. So within the last few years. Um, and wanting to eventually get a degree in psychology or philosophy. Makes sense. I feel like she should probably do psychology because she's... She needs some. Yeah. <laughs> probably. She I hope. A help. I hope she's getting it. So that's it. That's the crazy story of that. All right. Quite some doozies. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Um, guess we'll catch you next time. Rate us if you're uh, listening to something on something that you can rate us on. Apple Podcasts. Follow us on the, the Insta, on the Facebook. Yeah. At and Bang Bang Cult. Yeah, bang Bang Cult. You know the drill. Yep. Or email us at bangbangcult at gmail.com. All right. Until next time. Bye. Bye.